It's got everything to do with the curse of George Santos. But you can tell that James Flippin is a hardcore New York Mets fan. Like Lewis, like Sid Rosenberg, like Justin Ellick, like everybody around here. They're losers. They're used to supporting losers. But let me point out that things have gotten so bad that Buck Showalter decided to come out of the City Field Met dugout last night in the eighth inning. Started kicking uh, dirt uh, at the umpire. Started acting up, doing a Billy Martin routine. It's his second ejection since Sunday and his third of the season. And you know managers start to do this to try to jumpstart their team. Either that or to try to extend their job security at least to the end of the season. Because yesterday, CEO Steve Cohen, owner and operator, and as much as I hate him because he's a white-collar criminal who should have gone to federal prison for insider trading information, uh, Paripa Blahara had him on the ropes, but unfortunately his number two guy took the hit and spared Steve Cohen. But he is a fan's fan. He's poured a lot of money into the New York Mets. And Steve Cohen decided he was going to have a press conference yesterday before the Brewers game at City Field. And he basically said, what you see is what you get the rest of the way. I watch every game. I see what's going on. Um, And, um, you know, I mean... If you ask me, you know, would I have expected us to be in this position at the beginning of the season, the answer is no. But here we are, and, you know, hopefully we can right the ship. And, and uh, listen, we have quality players. Uh, for some reason or another, they're not yelling. When we pitch well, we don't hit. When we hit, we don't pitch well. Um, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, it's actually very strange to me. And I don't know if the players are anxious. Um I don't know if they're pressing. I mean, I assume that there's a, that's a little bit of that. We see a lot of mental errors that what I call enforced errors. I, you know, obviously we can clean that up. Um, we've lost games because of it. And, you know, there's nobody to blame, and it's really across the whole team. We know we're capable of doing it, and now we've got to string it together. And, you know, the problem is, you know, we're really at, you know, close to half the season. And so we don't have as much luxury of time as, as we have before. We still have time. The season's not over. I'm preparing my management team for all possibilities. You know, if we don't get better, you know, we have decisions to make at the trade deadline. And um, that's not my preferred end result. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing all contingencies. It's on the players, right? I mean... They're veterans. They've been there before. You know, I think they're you know, players that have done it, and we'll see if they can get their act together and, and string together some wins. You know, as he said, boy, it's very weird. It's very strange. And as much as I hate the Mets and Met fans and Buck Walter and Steve Cohen, he's right. But I told you at the very beginning of the season – it's the curse of George Santos, who declared himself to be a Met fan. Hey, guys. Today is opening day. As a good old Mets fan, I know you guys aren't going to be playing until April 6th back home. But in good old fashion, let's go Mets. God. The drag queen congressman, right, who's lied from birth 
is the number one Mets fan. This is Steve Cohen. This is my suggestion. At the All-Star break coming up, uh, reach out to George Santos and bribe him to make a video where he burns the Met throwback jersey that he was wearing of Mike Piazza, the Italian stallion. Do that, and you will relieve yourself, New York Met fans, of the curse of George Santos, who claims that he is a lifelong <laughs> Met fan. Curtis Lewa. Curtis Lewa. Rip and read. Check this out. This is the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Walking about. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rip and Read. Ah! You know, Lou, I think uh, Mayor Eric Adams, who continues to unravel in front of us, playing uh, the black card, black-centric card, is probably listening in his earbuds to James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number 1, to this classic anthem, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Now, why do I say that? Because in the last two weeks... He has just been playing a black card to the detriment of his administration and totally different than what he ran on to become mayor of the city of New York. For instance, last night he's at a town hall meeting in Washington Heights on 165th Street. Residents there talking about traffic, crime, schools, and then also rent stabilization. A woman is uh, questioning the mayor, and then he breaks wild on her. Why are we having these horrible rent Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't do, be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city, and treat me with the respect that which I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you're treating someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation up here in Washington Heights. Treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man, and I'm going to walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Wow. Don't treat me like I'm on a plantation. Now, Lou, I don't think anybody has played this cut yet. Again, this is Eric Adams last night in Washington Heights playing the black thing. Uh, talking about this had to do with rent stabilization. Woman was asking a question. And he just broke wild on her like he's been doing of late. Just play that again. Why are we having these horrible rent 
Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city, and treat me with the respect that I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in the conversation. Up here in Washington Heights, treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man, and I'm going to walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Wow, and he had that hostile attitude the rest of the night. And I'm saying to myself, he was hostile towards the crowd in Washington Heights last night, similar to a week ago when he was hostile to the New York City media and all of a sudden broke out in that, uh, you know, I'm Kunta Kente, don't treat me like Toby, I'll be Kunta Kente. Notice the similarities. He talked plantation uh, to the uh, mixed crowd in Washington Heights, and he talked Kunta Kinte and Toby to the mixed crowd of reporters last week. People can say what they want. There are those in society that still long to see me stop saying Kunta Kinte, and they want me to say Toby. And it's uncomfortable for them. So you can whip me as much as you want. But when you take off my shirt, you'll see the scars are already dire. You know, I I've gotten beaten enough that I can't be beaten again. I came into government saying Kute Kente. I'm leaving government saying Kute Kente. And if you don't know who he is, go see Roots. And he just dropped the mic like MCs conducting a rap battle and walked out. He was never like this in the campaign. He never talked about, hey, don't treat me like I'm on a plantation. I'm Kunta Kente, not Toby. And then remember, on the Sunday of Father's Day at the Lenox Road Black Baptist Church in Flatbush, he acted like he was a black holy roller. 30-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. And the message was clear. God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you who you are. Now, everything in politics is tactical. Uh, There are polls constantly being taken, especially by those in office or those running against office. They are their own polls. And I would bet you, since most of the leadership in the Eric Adams administration is black, they've been coming to Eric and saying, you know, in our neighborhood, man, the brothers and sisters are upset with you. He said, man, what are you talking about? Back in May, poll after poll said that 59% of the black community approved what I was doing. 16% were negative towards me. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, a poll came out yesterday. And what a reversal. What a dramatic dip in black support. 50% of blacks polled 
do not at all accept what Eric Adams is doing as mayor. Only 29% now say he's doing a good job. That's almost a dramatic 50% change. And it's all about African-Americans, blacks, looking at the way this black mayor is treating illegal aliens and really being hostile about that. I get that every time I'm in the subways or streets. Yo, what's wrong with Eric Adams? He's giving those illegals everything. Yo, it's a black man. It was our time. It was time for us to get what what we deserve. A lot of blacks feel that they've been snubbed. And you saw that the other day where black voters overwhelmingly sided with Farrakhan's candidate in that Harlem uh, City Council race, Youssef Salam of the Central Park Five, overwhelmingly chose Farrakhan over Eric Adams, who endorsed Inez Dickens, who has been in every conceivable elected job in in Harlem over the years and was considered a moderate Democrat. So basically, Farrakhan won out over Adams the other day in Harlem. But, Lou, a lot of people think all I do is criticize the mayor. I am suggesting that the mayor has an opportunity to really... To a pivot and shift, as he always says. Today at 2 o'clock, the helicopter will arrive at the heliport right down near Wall Street. President of the United States Joe Biden is in to get wine-dined in pocket line at a series of fundraising events here in Manhattan. He will depart this evening from JFK, but that... That helicopter will leave JFK, it'll come across the East River, and it will touch down right there on that heliport that connects it to Wall Street. Slowly I turn, step by step. It was just about, oh, less than 50 years ago. That same helicopter came from JFK. It was Marine One. And on that flight was President Jimmy Carter. And he was coming in to speak at the United Nations. And on the tarmac was then outgoing Mayor Ed, uh, excuse me, was Bean, the outgoing mayor. Secondarily in the queue was Congressman uh, Ed Koch, who was running for the mayoralty. And he was running against Mario Fachabrota Cuomo. The head cop helicopter approached again, Marine One coming down the East River, touchdown on the tarmac. President of the United States came up first to Abe Beam. They exchanged pleasantries, Jimmy Carter having to look down because Abe Beam was a midget. And then Ed Koch, who was taller than him, congressman, he had to look up. So Ed Koch was second in line. Mario Cuomo was third in line. And it was on that occasion that Ed Koch had tipped off the press, photograph me, boys, because I'm going to be giving an envelope to the President of the United States. Now, the Carter people didn't expect that. Secret Service didn't expect that. And what he did was give him a letter saying that the United States has abandoned its commitments to peace to Jewish refugees in the protection of Israel. Oh, my God. The other Democrats had like a heart attack. Ed Koch stole the show because at that time, Jimmy Carter's ambassador to the United Nations 
was Andrew Young, who went on to become mayor of Atlanta. But he was playing footsies with the PLO, Yasser Arafat. Eventually, the pressure mounted. And then uh, Jimmy Carter, who hated Israel and still does, even though he's in hospice there in Plains, Georgia, had to remove Andrew Young. And that was because of Ed Koch. Eric Adams, I know your staff is listening right at City Hall. You're right there. At 2 o'clock, the President of the United States is touching down on that heliport in Wall Street that's not just blocks away from you. You can line up in the queue. He's upset with you because uh, you haven't been saying many nice things about him of late. But, boy, this is your Ed Koch moment. You can deliver a letter, and that letter can say that you, President Joe Biden, have abandoned the commitments to protect New York City because you have refused to secure the border. We are being overwhelmed. We have to spend our tax money. You're not contributing to this. And we are going to have to cut services to our loyal citizens here right before July 4th, our nation's birthday. Oh, my God. Eric Adams could have his Ed Koch moment. It worked so well for Ed Koch less than 50 years ago. This could be Eric Adams' salvation and redemption as he falls in the polls. Don't ever say, Lou or Justin, that I never did anything on behalf of Mayor Eric Adams. This could be his shiny moment. And all he's got to do is say, remember, I'm the Biden of Brooklyn. Check this out. It's the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. Every time we talk about anybody who stands their ground and protects the general public, puts themselves at risk and protects themselves, we're going to play this Hulk Hogan song of the old WWF days, and it's no better person who has earned that than the Marine Daniel Penny. Served us honorably for four years. Hasn't been anything negative that has surfaced about this guy. I don't know of anybody out there who's never had anything negative in their life. I mean, everybody's been looking for dirty uh, laundry on this guy. And they haven't even been able to find belly button lint. But yesterday, he went into court with his two attorneys, especially the one I know best, Thomas Kniff who I'm hoping will run against Alvin Bragg again as the Manhattan GOP nominee as he was 
when I was running for mayor and we campaigned side by side in Manhattan against Alvin Bragg, against, in my case, Eric Adams, he would be a great DA. I, I, I'm looking forward to the next time around. Now we know what Alvin Bragg truly is, a friend of the criminal and an enemy of all of those who stand and defend what they know is right. First, Jose Alba. Secondly, in this case, we have Daniel Penny. So yesterday, he had to uh, go into court, Manhattan Supreme Court, where he was arraigned on charges of second-degree manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide during the brief minutes-long hearing. This was the result of the grand jury finding. He pled not guilty to the manslaughter charges, and uh, probably we will not see anything going on in terms of a trial, probably uh, for as long as a year from now. Uh, His attorneys uh, were resolute in the fact that they have a case and they're ready to go to case. Meantime, though, Alvin Bragg's office said, we've got more footage of, 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 uh, of uh, this, this Marine uh, that puts him in a bad light. We've got other witnesses who, come, who will come forward in the trial and will say that he was using excessive force. They're really piling on. And you have to ask your case, why? Why, oh, why? You understand why the attorneys representing the estate of uh, Jordan Neely would be piling on because they're going to sue everyone. They're already suing. Um, They're already suing the Marine, Daniel Penny. Yeah, they already got a lawsuit on him. They'll sue the MTA because Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb uh, our uh, governor, four days after what transpired on that F train, when Daniel Penny and two other Good Samaritans came to the aid of everybody on that train and restrained Jordan Neely. Unfortunately, he died. But remember, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb said his family is entitled to justice. His family is entitled to justice. All you did, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, by making that statement is guarantee there'll be a wrongful death case. A civil suit against the MTA state agency. And naturally, uh, the Attorney General, Tish James, will settle along with DiNapoli. And it's going to cost us a lot of money. But what do you care, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, Tish James, DiNapoli? It's not your money. It's our money. But you basically gave them a foothold in the door. And then they started up again outside at 100 uh, Center Street where you had uh, Neely's uh, attorney, Lennon Edwards, conjuring up the memories of Jordan Neely as if he was Michael Jackson channeling back to us. Jordan loved Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson wrote a song that says, uh, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, and, and I'm asking him to change his ways. And I'm saying that, that that song talks about looking at ourselves, at our city, and looking at that reflection and asking ourselves, do we like what we see? Do we like how we treat one another? Do we like how we judge one another? And the bottom line is, this story says we can't answer yes to that. We cannot answer yes. We have to look at the changes that need to be made from the top down. Well, 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 well. Here they were talking about Jordan Neely being the Michael Jackson uh, imitator. That was 10 years ago. 
10 years ago. He fell apart in the interim. He was abandoned. His family couldn't deal with him or extended family. In fact, his aunt, who is now leading the way, representing the estate, and will be the main beneficiary once a settlement is made with the state. And these two heckle and jekyll lawyers will get a third. His aunt is the one who has said that he was smoking crack every time she, excuse me, K2, every time she saw her nephew, Jordan Neely. Then remember the uncle who led the charge and said it's murder, murder, murder. Well, he's been subsequently arrested three times at the Port Authority. He's a jostler, a pickpocket. He's uh, been found to have credit cards and debit cards on him and other people's names. Guy's a criminal. And then yesterday, uh, Neely's attorney, Lennon Edwards, say, oh, yeah, and Daniel Penny wouldn't even look at Jordan Neely's father in the face. This is all about the money now. And then the other heckle and jekyll attorney, Dante Mills, for the estate of uh, Jordan Neely, said to everybody out there who contributed to the $3 million legal defense fund. For everyone who thought donating $3 million would somehow make this go away or buy his pass, it's not going to happen. Daniel Penny killed the man. He took a life. I want you to hear that again for all of you, and I know many of you, you donated uh, in your name or you donated it anonymously to give Daniel Penny a fighting chance in a criminal justice system, especially in Manhattan, that is controlled by the friend of the criminals, Alvin Bragg. I want you to listen to this guy again. It's all about the money. That's what these attorneys are interested now in, the cut. They want their third. For everyone who thought donating $3 million would somehow make this go away or buy his pass, it's not going to happen. Daniel Penny killed the man. He took a life. Yeah, he took a life. Unfortunately, he had to to protect others and himself. And then we flip the script. We go across the Brooklyn Bridge. We go down to um, Hoyt and Skimmerhorn Street, 100 Skimmerhorn Street. And a grand jury declined to indict 20-year-old Jordan Williams, who had been charged with manslaughter and criminal possession of a weapon in the June 13th melee that led another emotionally disturbed, uh, crazed individual dead. And I applaud the grand jury for releasing him back to his family and his friends. And so Sid, who's been all over this case because... Joseph Takapina's partner, I believe, or associate, has been handling it. And by the way, did an excellent job, Jason Goldman. Uh, he and Sid this morning were talking about the similarities between the, uh, the uh, Penny case and the Williams case. Daniel Penny is facing 15 years in prison, and your guy got to go home yesterday. Are you tired of those comparisons, or can you see why New Yorkers may take Jordan as a bittersweet victory? Let me tell you something. This was the difference, Lou. When you were sitting there in the office of District Attorney Eric Gonzalez, and you have that red phone right there for all your supporters, you didn't get the calls that Al Slim Shady Sharpton was making to Alvin Bragg saying, hey, you cut this guy loose originally? 
Hell no. You should be charging him with murder. You should be charging the two bad Samaritans with murder. Yeah. Uh, that left uh, Alvin Bragg with cauliflower ear. This time, there was no call from Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Nothing. Why is that? Because the hero in this case who stood his ground was black. Obviously, he was right to be able to defend himself, his girlfriend, and everybody else on that car. But also, the crazed individual was a person of color. That red phone of Eric Gonzalez, DEA of Kings County, was not singing and ringing like Alvin Bragg's when AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the socialists who want to destroy our country, destroy our city, on three occasions called Alvin Bragg, and he took the call. First, she wanted a murder charge. The next day, she said it was a, a lynching. And the third day, she called up and said it was an execution. Eric Gonzalez was staring at his phone, his red phone in his office. And again, there were no no calls coming in from AOC. No calls. So you see, that was the difference. It wasn't the lawyering of Jason Goldman. It wasn't uh, Eric Gonzalez, the DA. That was the biggest difference. And then Jason Goldman said that after the court released uh, his client, back to his family, that he went home and he watched the Daniel Penny video more extensively than he had the first time. The cases have a lot of similarities. They have a few differences, but, you know, I, I actually am a little bit more curious now to hear the facts on the Daniel Penny case. I actually rewatched the video last night and saw some things I didn't see the first time around. What did you see? The second time around, that would have been an interesting follow up. But uh, Sid ran out of time. That's what I would have asked Jason Goldman is what did you see the second time that you didn't see the first time from his professional point of view? And then he says it's a tale of two D.A.'s, meaning the way Alvin Bragg handles things. And of course, Eric Gonzalez. Well, a tale of two D.A.'s here you've got. The guy in Manhattan, Bragg, who's uh, an idiot. That's the bottom line. He's a loser, and you know, he, he uh, you know, he he has his targets on certain people's backs. In this case, it's Penny. It's been Trump, and then you got Gonzalez in Brooklyn, who's a much more measured guy. No, he's not. You see, this is uh, the differentiation. He's not a more measured guy. Eric Gonzalez is like almost every other DA in the five boroughs. He turns them loose. If you get caught. Anywhere in Kings County, in Brooklyn, first time, gun charge. Let's say you have a fanny pack loaded 9 millimeter with clips. You do not go to jail. You go for remediation in Red Hook. You go for a month. Every Friday, you have a counselor who sits you down with slices of pizza and Coca-Cola that we pay for. And you, as the thug or thugette, swear, cross your heart and hope to die, you'll never do it again. Of course you say that. And after a month of these counseling sessions, you turn loose. And when you come back, your homies and homegirls can't believe that you've been turned loose. And they say, yeah, we got it like that because Eric, Eric Gonzalez in Brooklyn, he's weak. He turns gun totes loose. And then the one issue that hasn't been dealt with is this hero, Jordan. This hero lost his job. FedEx fired him, didn't he? He got fired from his job at Federal Express. Yeah, fired from his job. 
Is Federal Express going to apologize? Is he going to hire him back? And then the interesting factor is, out of all the charges, the grand jury even found that he should not be prosecuted for possession of a knife, which is a crime. Listen to his attorney, Jason Goldman. And you know what's interesting is the jury in the Jordan Williams, the grand jury, they actually did not indict him or charge him with a weapon. Now think of that. You have the Penny case, you have the Williams case. One black, one white. Both of them are heroes. Both stood their ground. Both did not have the help of the police department that is on demand at this point. And the ranks are dropping precipitously low as we speak. They had to take matters into their own hands. Williams was correct, Jordan Williams. And so was Daniel Penny. The difference is Jordan Williams' complexion was his complex, uh, his protection before that grand jury in Brooklyn. Daniel Penny's complexion was a guarantee that he would be indicted because whenever it's white versus black, Everybody makes money on it. Everybody. But when it's black on black or people of color on people of color, it goes nowhere. It's the Riff and Read. Talking about. Featuring Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talking about. This is the Riff and Read. Featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Yankee fan, although I've wavered because I will tell you, ever since uh, they stopped Kate Smith from singing God Bless America in the seventh inning stretch, Randy Levine, uh, former deputy mayor for Giuliani and now president of the Yankees, I really, I, only half my heart is into the Yankees. But uh, last night, one of the few times in history that a the game was pitched by Domingo German, fourth in Yankee history. Uh, let me hear the call from Ryan uh, Rucco, who I don't even know. Grounded to third. Donaldson has it. There he is. Perfection for Domingo Herman. Domingo Herman has thrown the 24th perfect game in baseball history the fourth perfect game in Yankees history and you will always remember where you were June 28th of 2023 (laughs) is he kidding this guy ain't ready for prime time first of all who the hell was up that was in the wee hours of the morning other than people like myself you're always going to remember where you were for Domingo German's perfect game? Nobody's going to remember that. What? Against the Oakland Athletics? You got to be kidding. What are they, 21 and 61? These are not the Oakland Athletics of the early 70s. Remember when Charlie Finley was the owner and they had the mule, what, Charlie O, and they had Vita Blue and Catfish Hunter and Reggie Jackson and Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, Raleigh Fingers. They won three World Series in a row. 
These guys are 21 and 61, and the Yankees are going crazy. Now, my wife, Nancy, big Yankee fan, bigger Yankee fan than me now, she was actually at the back-to-back, belly-to-belly perfect games, tossed by David Wells. That was her favorite, 1998. You know, he had the Babe Ruth-style hat. Although I told her, you know, he got knocked out by this uh, by this Gavon from Yonkers while he was having breakfast after spending a night all night at a gin mill. Ah, it doesn't matter to her. David Wells was a hero. And then Coney, the next year, 1999, threw another perfect game. And actually, I remember the video clips over and over as a kid just watching Yogi Berra, number eight, catch the perfect game of Don Larson against the Brooklyn Dodgers and then jump into his arms because Larson was such a huge, uh, uh, prominent figure. So I I don't know where they got this guy, Ryan Rucco. Where was Michael Kay? Oh, wait, really? The thing we're always going to remember. Is John Sterling at Fenway Park. We'll always remember that. John Sterling at Fenway Park. We'll always remember that. Well, I guess they're cutting out John Sterling, who had the most memorable moment when he got hit in his noggin. He took a licking, and he came back ticking. 